0: chapter is an amazing chapter. It will settle a lot of questions in your mind as to what it takes to be saved. Acts chapter 8. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's give a hand clap of praise to the Lord for all of our teachers this morning. They do a great job. <clears throat> okay, you there in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. If you are, say praise the Lord. Okay, and Saul was consenting unto his death. This is Stephen's death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the words. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And then from Samaria he finds a eunuch of Ethiopia, out in the desert uh, near Gaza, and He brings him to salvation there. So we're going to cover the 8th chapter today in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we come before You right now. We ask Your blessing to be upon the reading of Your Holy Word. We thank You for inspiring us, anointing us. We thank You for Your presence in this house. We give You all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now we saw last Sunday morning, of course, Stephen was stoned to death by the Sanhedrin court and also many people gathered there and had him stoned. And so that brings us into the 8th chapter. The Bible tells us that Saul was consenting unto his death and at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So this persecution actually produced something good. And that was the gospel going out to the rest of the world. So go to Acts chapter 1. This was the original commission from the Lord for them to accomplish. And that was that they go throughout all the world and preach the gospel. It had been a couple of years since Jesus was ascended up. It's around A.D. 32-34 the time frame, and they still had not left Jerusalem and preached the Gospel. So persecution is what's going to get them out of Jerusalem and literally push them away from Judaism. It's going to push them away from the temple and get them out preaching the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ like they were commissioned to do. So Acts 1 and 8, Jesus said this, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto Me, both in Jerusalem. So it would start out in Jerusalem, but it was not to stay there. They were to go from Jerusalem, and then the Bible says, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. But it took the persecution to get them out of Jerusalem. Because had they had what they wanted, they would have just stayed there in Jerusalem and waited for the coming of the Lord. But it was not God's will, of course. He wanted them to missionary the world. So, the persecution that hit the church there, the Bible says, is a great persecution. Even though it was not a good thing as far as the persecution is concerned, it did produce a good thing, and that was the missionary of the world. So, Saul is the one that is consenting unto Stephen's death, and he's the one that is behind the great persecution of the church. As you go through Acts chapter 8, you will see that the word great is used many, many times. And so it was a mega persecution. It was huge, a huge persecution against the church. Um, Stephen has been stoned to death. The gospel is going out. And the church is suffering tremendously. But God is going to use that to accomplish His will and purpose. Amen. Okay, let's talk about Saul. Go to the book of Philippians. Who is this Saul that is behind this great persecution? In Philippians chapter three, flip over there, please, and let's look at this. Okay, verse one, Philippians three one. Who is Saul? The Sadducees that we have seen already have thrown the apostles into prison. The Sadducees are trying to stop the church they do not believe in the resurrection. But now we see another element added to the persecution, and that is the element of the Pharisees, because Saul is a Pharisee. Okay, let's look at verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. Who is Saul? Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Now that is very interesting because he is talking about the concision. He's talking about those who are still believing that you have to be circumcised in the flesh in order to be saved. So the Apostle Paul is warning the Philippian church about these men. He calls them dogs and he calls them evil workers. So he's right to the point, okay? Verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. Say, in the Spirit. spirit. And rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He said, we are not putting our confidence in circumcision in the flesh. That was an Old Testament thing. He said, we're putting our confidence in the Spirit and circumcision is in the Spirit now, not in the flesh. Okay? So there's been a change from the way of doing things. The way that God does things has changed. It's no longer physical circumcision. Nor is it going to be meeting at the temple and offering sacrifices to God there at the temple. Judaism as they know it has come to an end. And the temple is going to be destroyed about 40 years from where we are in the book of Acts. So what's happening is that the old temple... Is actually swallowed up or brought up or transcending into the Spirit now. So there's no need for sacrifices. There's no need for the temple. And the temple is the heart and it's the center of Judaism. Okay? So that's fixing to go completely away. 70 AD, the temple is going to be completely destroyed. But as far as Jesus is concerned, that old way of doing things, the temple, the sacrifices, the Old Testament circumcision, it's over. Okay? but you still have Israel according to the flesh still trying to operate under that old Mosaic economy without believing that Jesus has come. Are you with me so far? So the Apostle Paul is dealing with this concision or these people that are still trying to operate under the old Mosaic ritualistic system. And he's telling them, we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Now watch this. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. So Saul, or Paul, is making this statement. He said, if you want to put confidence in your flesh, he says, I can put confidence in the flesh more than you all. Why is that? Because he says, in verse 5, he said, I was circumcised the eighth day. Okay? Now isn't that interesting? that he's calling the concision or those that are going around still preaching physical circumcision as necessary for salvation, he says, I'm circumcised. I have the mark of that old covenant in my flesh. I have that mark. But he calls those that are going around preaching that the concision. Okay? He's telling the Philippian church that these are dogs. These are evil workers that are going out. So there was a time when Paul was operating under the old Mosaic way of doing things. Alright? He had the mark in his flesh. The physical circumcision himself. But we're in New Testament days now. We're in the New Covenant now. So watch this. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He's got the mark of the Old Covenant. He's of the stock of Israel. Say "Israel." Israel. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. So he's a true Israelite in the flesh. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. This is where the first king came from, Saul. So he's of the tribe of Benjamin. And he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Say Hebrew. Hebrew. Of the Hebrews. In nature. As touching the law. What? A Pharisee. Strictest group of people that there were in Israel in that day was the Pharisee. They were known as the separatists. Okay? They sought to obey the Old Testament law, but they added traditions called the oral law to it. Now what I want you to see is this, okay? He says that he is a circumcised on the eighth day. He's of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of the Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law. What? Blameless. So he's not talking about just traditions being laid aside. I want you to catch that. See, there's a lot of people who have this idea that only the traditions is what was laid aside. But what the Apostle Paul is showing you by what he's saying is that way of doing things, that Old Testament economy, that mosaic economy of physical circumcision, observing the Old Testament law ritual is completely gone. He's not talking about just that he got out of traditions of men. He's showing you that he's no longer operating under that old, old mosaic economy. The temple has been swallowed up into the dimension of the Spirit. It's transcended now. You're in a new covenant. You're not operating in the old covenant ways. The temple is going to be gone. Okay, you all with me so far? So as a religious Pharisee, a man who was very concerned about keeping the law. Now, we still keep the moral law of God that's still binding. But the ritual, the circumcision, the sacrifices, going up to the temple, that's all gone. All those types and shadows are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Okay? And so that's what He's trying to teach them here. So He's not just saying, I've laid aside the tradition. He's telling them that the law is fulfilled. That He's in the circumcision now that's the circumcision of the Spirit. It's a spiritual thing now. It's an internal thing instead of an external thing. It's an internal thing by the Spirit of God in them. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so he is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Now, when the persecution breaks out upon the church, it's not just the Sadducees. The Sadducees' faith or belief system is falling apart. You understand what I'm telling you? They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, they didn't believe in angels. Okay? They didn't believe in the Spirit that thing's falling completely apart. They've tried to stop the church because they're preaching the resurrection of the living Lord Jesus. And they've tried to stop the church by putting them in prison, the apostles, persecuting them, but that couldn't stop the church. So the Sadducees' religion's falling apart. Okay, What they believe, their belief system is falling apart. That's why they were persecuting the church. Now all of a sudden, we've got a new element in the persecution. And that is the Pharisees. Okay. And we saw that with Stephen because Stephen was telling them that God doesn't live in a box. You can't put God in a physical temple. Okay. And you can't limit God to a temple or to a particular land. He's the most high God and he wants to save all the world. So his example and his preaching and his death is going to propel the church into world evangelism. And when they go out, they're not going to need a sacrifice. They're not going to be needing the temple anymore. So they don't have to worry about that. They can go out there in that world, and they can evangelize the world, and they can reach the Gentiles and bring the Gentiles into the kingdom of God as well as the Jews. And that was God's original plan, Jesus' original plan. But they were staying in Jerusalem. They were still connected to that temple in in a small way until Stephen steps on the scene. And they have to kill him. Okay, because basically what he's saying is the heart of Judaism is finished. God's dealing with the temple, it's over with. Okay, and so uh, the Apostle Paul, or Saul at this point, because he is zealous for the law, he's zealous for the law of Moses, and he's zealous then therefore, he's zealous at this point of the persecution for keeping that temple going and keeping those sacrifices going. And keeping that Old Testament circumcision going. That's where He is, okay? So He's got to wipe out or He's got to try to destroy this church that's coming on the scene that claims that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. So He's got to get rid of this. He's got to try His best to stop this to keep the other alive. you all with me so far? So what I want to emphasize to you today is this. Is that He's not just saying, I laid aside that oral law. He's telling everybody the reason why He was doing what He was doing because He was zealous for the Mosaic Law. And He's telling you that now it's in the Spirit. That the types and shadows transcend into reality now. They have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You're in a new covenant. You're in new days. Okay? There's a new nation. There's a new kingdom. The living Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. You don't need that old way of doing things anymore. I have to bring this to you this morning because there are some that teach that all they laid aside was the traditions of the elders. And that's not true. He was zealous for the Mosaic law. He was zealous for circumcision. Are you all with me? So he talks about if I'm going to boast in flesh, he says i got the credentials to boast if you want to talk about the flesh. But he said now we're in the Spirit. And it took Saul a while to understand this. So, at the beginning, before his conversion, he is persecuting the church, later becomes a member of that church that he persecuted. Isn't God gracious? There's sometimes the very church that people fight, fight, uh, is what they become a part of later in the future. All right. So, anyway, so in verse 1 of chapter 8, the Bible says he, Saul, is consenting under the death of Stephen. He's a part of the Sanhedrin court. And the Bible says there was great persecution against the church. So now we have the Pharisee element joined to the Sadducee element in trying to destroy the church. Y'all understand? Okay, let me talk to you just a little bit about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very strict. They were very separated. The problem with the Pharisees is that they did add traditions of the elders, which they called the oral law, They claimed that Moses received that from God at Mount Sinai, and that is incorrect. God did not give the Jewish people the oral law. This was something that was made up by men. Okay? What God gave them was the Ten Commandments, the original tables of stone. He gave them that law, but not the oral law. But the Pharisees, and Saul being a Pharisee, he walked not only in the Mosaic economy the Mosaic Law, but he also sought to keep the traditions of the elders, which was the oral law. Okay? Now, the Pharisees were a very unique people. Um, I don't think they loved God, but they loved their religion. See? You can love your religion and not love your God. And, And so I believe they loved their religion, but they didn't love their God. And when Jesus Christ came for the most part, they rejected Him. Right? Crucified Him on the cross. After His resurrection, some of them came into the church. But anyway, the Pharisees, let me tell you about a few different kinds of Pharisees so you get a little idea about their thinking. The Pharisees are the separatists, zealous for the law of God, zealous for the traditions of the elders. They were so zealous about things that there was a few Pharisees I'll make mention to you about. One of them was the bleeding Pharisees, and the bleeding Pharisee was a Pharisee who, when he went to town, okay, he would not look at a woman in order to keep from looking at a woman. You understand what I'm telling you, all right? He'd walk down with his head down all the time, like this, okay? Because for him to look, come face to face with a woman and to look at a woman face to face. He said, "I can't do that. Uh, You know that's not right." So he put his head down, and he'd walk into walls. Okay, I'm serious. This is true. That's why they called them the bleeding Pharisees, because he tried so hard. You know, if a woman walked by him, instead of him taking a peek at her, you know, see, look how good she looks or whatever, he'd just boom. He'd walk into walls. So they called them the bleeding Pharisees because he's always trying to keep from looking at women. Alright, praise the Lord. And the Sadducees were always... They had a game. The Sadducees had a game. You know, Sadducees and Pharisees were always fighting each other. The Sadducees had a game. We're going to do our best to try to find a new kind of Pharisee. So they went throughout Jerusalem looking for a new kind of Pharisee. And they found the bleeding Pharisee, the one that wouldn't look at a woman, you know. Now, I'm not advocating... Uh, sin or anything. I'm just telling you what they did. Uh, and so anyway, bleeding Pharisee they called him. Because he got bruises and knots all over his head and couldn't keep from walking into walls and poles and things like that. And you know, he's holy. He's holy. He don't look at women. So alright, praise the Lord. Good for you. You got ble- scabs all over you, you know. So and then there's another Pharisee. It's called the shuffler. Okay? And the shuffler would hold his hands a certain way, right? There's a certain way, a kind of a pious look, a holy kind of a look at his hand. And he would shuffle along the way like this, you know. And what's he saying? He said, well, I'm not a prideful man. I'm a humble man. Look at me. Notice me, you know. Because I guess evidently he thought if he walked like a man, you know, that that would be prideful. So instead of walking like a man he held his hands a certain way and he'd just shuffle along in life so as to appear humble. Look look how humble I am. Look at the way I walk, you know. He look probably look like Tim Conway. You know what I'm saying? Now Tim Conway, that wasn't holy, that was that was his act, but but there was a Pharisee that were known as the shufflers. You know, they were so humble. And, and you know, it's kind of like this deal. Look at me because I'm so humble. Look at the way I walk, alright? I don't walk prideful. Hallelujah. I've run some, across some of these people in Pentecost. You know, they hold their hands a certain way and they walk a certain way because they don't want to appear as prideful. Alright, praise the Lord. Just walk like a man, hallelujah. Uh, and then there was another kind of Pharisee, the kind of Pharisee that says, "I've done all I can, God ask me for more." What he's basically saying is, God, I've done everything I can, and if you were to come to me and ask me for anything else, God, there's nothing you can ask me for, because I've done everything I can." saying? So he walked around and said, "Lord, God, I've done all I can. ask me for more." Like, just ask me if there's anything that I haven't done yet. That was the Pharisee. I've done all I can. I don't have anything else I can do for God. i met all the requirements, Lord, and I'm asking You to ask me for more. That's the kind of attitude they had. All right, And that wasn't all of them. There's about seven to ten different kinds of Pharisees, and I'm not going to cover all of them today. I don't have time to cover them. But that's So the Sadducees are going out looking for Pharisees to try to find the new Pharisee. That was a game they played. They found the bleeding Pharisee and they found the shuffler and they found the Pharisee that said, I've done all I can do. Ask me for more, God, you know. So all over the place, these people were everywhere, you know. And so this was what Saul was a part of. He was a part of that Pharisaical religion. He was a part of those group of people that thought that his good works could get him to heaven. Amen. So at the first, he's rejecting salvation in Jesus Christ. And this church has come on the scene. These are the people of the spirit. And so he's going to try to wipe them out because he's got to keep this thing going. He's got to keep this religion going. He's got to keep this Judaism on pace. You know, that temple can't be over with. Those sacrifices can't be over with. And so that's what it's all about. That's where he is right here. All right. Now he is going to persecute the church. And the Bible says how, if you'll look at it in chapter eight, Am I boring you to tears? Okay. Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was, at, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So we have a good thing coming out of here because there's being scattered throughout where? Judea and Samaria. That's the next phase the Lord told them to go to, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. So the persecution has hit the church and it's bringing something good, even though the persecution wasn't good. We're not condoning that. We're not saying that was a good thing. We're saying that God brought something good out of that and that's to get them away from Judaism. It's to get them away from that old temple. Now some of you might not believe me because we're living in an age right now where this Judaistic spirit is trying to creep back on the church again. So you need the word that I'm preaching to you this morning. Okay? Amen. So this this Saul is persecuting the church, the Bible says he's got to keep that old thing going, you know. And it says they were scattered abroad, which is good. Say scattered. scattered. Seed has to be scattered. I understand there's some seed that have wings on it. You know? You can break open a, a pine cone and the, the seed that's there has wings and it'll fly but there's some seed that don't have wings on them. you got to take them and you got to scatter them. A farmer has to scatter the seed of the gospel. They don't have wings. They don't fly on their own. The church has to take the seed, has to scatter the seed. So the Bible says here that the church themselves are being scattered. They're being dispersed throughout the world. And as they go, they're sharing the gospel with people as they go forth in the world. Now, I hope that by the grace of God, that we don't have to experience persecution to get out there and win the lost. Because a lot of times, when we come into church, we sit down on our pews and I'm saved and that's all I'm worried about. I'm saved, my family's saved and I'm not worried about anybody else. That's Listen, we can't have that mentality. We've got to take this gospel out into the streets. We've got to win the lost. That's God's will. That's God's purpose. And I pray to God that God doesn't have to send persecution to His church in America for the church to get out there in those streets and win the lost. That's the call of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? But sometimes we like our four walls. It's us four and no more. No, God wants us to evangelize the world. Give God praise for that. So I just pray to God that persecution doesn't have to hit us in order for us to get out there and spread the gospel. Amen. If you'll just go out there and you'll just share the gospel, you'll just tell everybody that you come in contact with. Tell them about the truth. Amen? You don't have to be a formal preacher. You don't have to be somebody that stands behind a pulpit. You can go out there and just share what's happened to you and share the gospel, and you would be amazed how many people you would win to the Lord Jesus Christ by just telling them what has happened to you. Just sharing the gospel. You don't have to be a formal preacher. In fact, at the beginning of this, this story here, it's not going to be formal preachers. They're scattered. Everybody, the whole church is scattered everywhere and they're going out and they're preaching the Word of God. Amen? They're not trusting the Word to fly on its own. you got to scatter this gospel seed. This gospel seed has to be spread. It has to be scattered from the hands of the church. You have to be out in the fields. You have to be throwing that gospel seed. It's not going to just go out there on its own. So our job, we got to go get out there and we got to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my job as a pastor is to equip you for the work of ministry. That's my job, is to equip you for the work of ministry. So this is what they're doing now. So this persecution is bringing a good thing because it's scattering the church to preach the gospel. So the Bible tells us, look at this, um, they're going all over the place. Preaching the gospel, but I'm going to go to verse 2. It says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. Now, so now we come to Stephen. And great lamentation, great weeping, literally the beating of the breast. These devout men are beating their breasts. It's very rarely used in this in the Word of God. And they're crying because of what has not just what has happened to Stephen. You know, Stephen's been persecuted. He's dead now. He's You know, dead in the body. He's with the Lord. But they're weeping now as they bury Stephen. And uh, it's not so much just about Stephen dying. It's about the devout men are weeping because things are just not going right. Things are just not going right. The church is under persecution. You've got a man named Stephen who's now dead and they're burying him, you know, physically dead. And things are just not going right. They're not going the way that they had hoped them to go. You know, just, just things. Have you ever been there? Just things are not going right. And that, these devout men, when they cry, they're not just crying over the death of Stephen. They're, they're crying over the whole situation. Things are just not the way they ought to be. They're just not going right, you know. It's just, just put yourself in that position. What if one of your brothers were stoned to death? You wouldn't be just crying probably over the brother that got stoned to death. You'd be crying because things are just not going right. They're not going as planned, you know. So, these devout men are crying here at this funeral service. because Not just because of Stephen, because things are just not going right altogether. Y'all with me today? Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? And it's not always what makes you laugh. Anybody can laugh. Anybody can laugh. You know that? Anybody can laugh. A fool can laugh. It's not what, make, what it takes to make you laugh. What does it take to make you cry? And what it took to make these men cry was the church under persecution. They're crying. The church is under persecution. Stephen is dead. And they're weeping. You know, we have this idea today that men are not supposed to cry. And maybe even the women. You know, you're not supposed to cry in public. Where did you get that? You didn't get that from the Bible. You got that from from philosophy. You got that from the world. Listen, there are certain things that you need to be crying about. Some things that are important to you. The things of of God. The things of God should be important to you. The The church should be important to you. Persecution breaking out on the church and it doesn't cause you to weep and cry. Amen? You see, so really, what does it take to make you cry? That's the question, not what does it take to make you laugh. Anybody can laugh. But when was the last time you cried because the church isn't growing? Or the church is under persecution? Or the church... Understand what I'm trying to tell you right here today? What does it take to make you cry? Amen? You cry because your paycheck was smaller than what you wanted to do? And you don't care. You don't have a passion for God. You don't have a passion for the church. You don't have a, a passion for the things of God. A passion for the spreading of the Gospel. When's the last time you poured out your heart, your, your tears running down your face for a, a lost uh, family member or somebody in the world that's lost that you know? When, when's the last time you got on your knees and just cried for them? You'd be amazed. How many people would come into the church if you'd cry over them? If you'd weep over their lost condition, if you'd cry over the fact they're dying and they're on their way to hell without Jesus Christ, if you get down on your face and cry and let the tears flow out, you'd be surprised that the seed that you planted or somebody else has planted, when that tears flow down your face, those tears water that seed as well as somebody else following you up. When's the last time you really cried? You had a passion for the Word of God, a passion for the church, a passion for lost souls. When was the last time you cried over that? You know, you can cry over a lot of things. Cry because your check wasn't as big as you wanted to cry because you lost your job or cry because you didn't get promoted. But when was the last time you cried for the things of God? Is that important to you? When was the last time you cried over the church here at Bible Center Fellowship? When's the last time you cried over over a backslidden brother or sister or somebody that's lost? Them? Well, when was the last time you poured out your spirit before God in liquid pain? Liquid pain. God save the lost. Lord, when's the last time you cried over your condition? Instead of walking around and thinking, I got it all together. I You kind of like that old Pharisee, you know, I've done all I can do. Ask me for more, God. No. When's the last time you cried over your condition, God? I know I'm not where I should be. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, God. I haven't done what I'm supposed to do. And if something's gripped your heart, your spirit, and tears running down your face because of your condition, the condition of the church, the condition of the world, when's the last time we cried? Had a passion for that. We cried for a lot of things. See, I want to tell you, the question is not what makes you laugh. The question is what does it take to make you cry? I want to cry over the things of God. I want to have a passion for the things of God. I want to weep for the loss. I want to weep for you. I want to weep for my condition. When it's not, listen, I'm, I'm not where I need to be today. I'm telling you, I'm not where I need to be today. And I weep over my condition. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. I walk around all, a lot of times, and and I try not to, but I walk a lot of t- around a lot of times with grief. And my heart's filled with pain, filled with grief. Amen. Hopefully it's for the right reasons. Hopefully what's grieving me is my condition or the church's condition or the world's condition. Hopefully that's what's grieving me. It's not because my paycheck is not as big as it used to be or whatever. It's just that the condition of things is not what it should be. Things are just not what it should be. And that's where these men were here when they wept. They wept because things are just not what they should be. You understand what I'm telling you? So I'm not. I'm not asking you to lift your hand. But when was the last time you cried for the things of God? When's the last time you had that kind of passion and love? You got in a prayer room and God put something, somebody in your spirit, in your mind. You knew it was God. They put God put their face in your spirit, and you started praying for them. You prayed for them until tears are running down your face. It's not what it takes to make you laugh. It's what does it take to make you cry? What does it take to make you grieve today? See, there's some grieving that's a good thing. It's a good thing. We grieve for the right things. And so these men, these devout men gathering, Stephen, this awesome, awesome man of God dying, you know, persecution breaking out in the church, and just things are not the way they ought to be. And so they're weeping, lamenting, great lamentation. They're not crying silently with their sunglasses on their face where nobody can see the tears running down their their eyes. no Nobody can see the redness of the eye. You know, that's America. America puts sunglasses on at a funeral service. So nobody can look and see the redness of your eyes. No, that culture there, that culture is lifting up their emotions before God, literally beating their breasts. I mean, they're crying as loud as they possibly can. That's the situation here. Maybe if we got that in us got that in our church, got that in our spirit, we would start seeing things happen. Amen. How many of y'all believe that today? Do you care this morning? Do you care this morning? The church of America is in such a sad condition. We come to the house of God, some of us, and not all of us, but some of us, we're just, you know, we made it and and it's like God, you owe us something because we came to church. You know, I, we maybe we come to church and we feel like God needs to just slap us on the back because we made it to church today. What are you talking about? When you came to church today, was it in your heart? Did you love it? Or are you full of passion for it? Is is this your? Li- and I know most of you, it is. It's your life, the, the living for God. It's your life. You got a passion. It's in you, emotion. It's not just in your mind. It's in your heart. Not just in your mind, it's in your heart. About 18 inches all that separates you and I from heaven and hell. 18 inches. We could have it in our minds this morning not have it in our hearts. 18 inches between heaven and hell. And I'm going to show that to you as we go through the Word of the Lord today. I'm going to show you that there are men that are even baptized in Jesus' name. Even baptized in Jesus' name on the road to hell. If you think if I just get baptized in Jesus' name, if I just sit in the church, I know I'm going to heaven. That's not true. Is it in that heart this morning? Are you moved with a passion for the things of God? Is your life governed by the Word of God? Is your heart? Does your heart? Is your heart right with God? The desires in the inside of your heart—is that right with God? Uh, it's not just about getting baptized in water says, is your heart right with God? Come on, somebody. You hear what I'm telling you today? And I I thank God for this church. You're a wonderful church. You're, You're a good people. You love God. Okay? But I'm telling you, we need to stay in a place where we're tender in our hearts. And where we got it here, not just up here. Amen. Give the Lord praise in the house. So, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great, great. Look at this word, great. The Bible says, great persecution hit the church. Now they're making great lamentation over Stephen. The Bible says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. And the whole time he's doing it, church, you know, he thinks he's doing God a service. He thinks he's doing it, doing this for God. He thinks with all his heart. This man is sincere. This man has conviction that what he's doing is is about God in Saul's mind. Do you understand what I'm telling you? He he believes with all his heart that what he's doing is the right thing, but persecuting this church. He looks at Jesus Christ as an imposter. He looks at Jesus Christ as a false God. He looks at Jesus Christ as an imposter that claims to be the Messiah that's not the Messiah. Are y'all here? What do you mean fixing to tear down? The temple fixing to be destroyed. What do you mean by that? No, we got to keep this thing going. This man's on fire. He's full of zeal for what he knows about God. He just happens to be wrong. He just happens to be wrong. He's got his zeal. He's, and he's killing these Christians. He's doing it for God's service. Amen. The Bible says he's going from house to house. And he's looking for anybody that calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody in that house? Anybody? From house to house. He's like the Gestapo. Can you imagine that? This man claims to be a a, a, Christian, a believer in God. He's not a Christian, but a believer in God. He's going from house to house. And he, the Bible says he's literally, 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 dragging men and women and children out of their homes, forcing them out of their homes. This is a literal dragging. He's dragging them by the heels, man. It's a forcible thing. A persecution, man. And you listen, I want to tell you something, not just the men, but the men, you know, the men are gallant, the men are courageous in persecution. But these women in the church, these women, listen, even in that culture, You don't mistreat a woman. But you got a man here named Saul that he's mistreating even women. Not just men in the church, but women. And these women, they're so faithful to God and so on fire for God and so committed and loyal to God that Saul's dragging them out by the hills. You don't hear any complaint from these women. These women love God. Reminds me of some of the women in this church. Some of the women in this church, they, they're amazing. The way they love God, the way they're committed to the Lord, the way, you know, and I believe that if persecution were to break out in the church, that some of you women would go to your death for Jesus Christ. Because you're committed to the Lord. And you wouldn't complain about it. You'd be valiant. Even women. Children, the Bible says. "Ah, He's going from house to house. And the Bible says he's hailing them in off, men and women and children. I mean, this man is mad. Mad. I'm not about, in a sense, like a wild animal. If you look at the Bible says Saul made havoc of the church, the word havoc there means he's like a wild animal. In the book of Psalms, the Bible talks about a boar. You know what a boar is, don't you? It's like a hog. A boar in a vineyard. A boar in a vineyard or a wild hog in a vineyard going up and tearing that vineyard to pieces. And that's the picture of the word havoc here. Saul. He's like a wild animal. He's like a wild boar, you know. He's like a just in the vineyards and he's just shredding it and he's tearing it apart. And you might liken it to this: He's like a bloodthirsty tiger, a bloodthirsty lion. He's tasted the blood of Stephen, not literally, you know what I'm saying, but he's tasted blood. He saw Stephen die, and he and I'm talking about Saul here, the one who will become Paul. This man, he's going from house to house and he's like a bloodthirsty animal. You know, he's tasted blood. And now he can't get enough of blood. He can't get enough of these Christians. And it wasn't just Stephen that died. The Bible says in Acts 26, if you go there in verse 9, the Apostle Paul giving his testimony... Acts 26.9, Paul says, I've rarely thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I went from house to house and I was looking for anybody that used the name of Jesus, that called on the name of Jesus. Is there anybody here like that? He persecuted them. Verse 10, Which things I also did in Jerusalem and many of the saints did I shut up in prison having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, say they when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. It wasn't just against Stephen, but there were many people put to death during that persecution by the Apostle Paul. It wasn't just one man. Man, he had many of the Christians put to death. The Bible said And verse 11, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. He's pushing them to blaspheme the name of the Lord. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even under strange cities. I followed them out into the dispersion. I didn't just stay in Jerusalem. He said, I chased them down to the uttermost part of the world. To try to bring them back and put them in prison and put them to death. Persecute them and compel them to blaspheme the name of Jesus. He was driven with a passion to go all over the world and bring these Christians back to Jerusalem and persecute them. Well, he gets converted, he's going to have a passion to spread the gospel with the same passion he had to persecute the church. The Apostle Paul traveled over 12,000 miles, land and sea. Most of that on foot to spread that gospel. He had a passion for it. <clears throat> so here he's got a zeal, but it's in the wrong direction. He said in verse 12 of 26, he said, Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commissioned them from the chief priests. So he goes on even into, into Syria, and we'll get to that later on. Look at the passion of this man. The zeal he had for the Mosaic law. Persecuting the church. Sell us to kill them. Amen. Dragging them out of their houses. Men and women and children. This is Saul who would become Paul. This is Saul. Amen. In the Bible. So the Bible tells us that we go on. He said, He made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Anybody here in this house calling on the name of Jesus Christ? Remember. He claims to be a believer in God. But is there anybody in this house that calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus? There's a big difference. See. Anybody here that believe that Jesus is the Lord? Anybody in this house believe that Jesus is the Messiah? If you do, persecution. That is Saul, a wild, thirsty animal, a madman, insane, going from house. Just get the picture. Going that house is just like a Gestapo, dragging people out of their houses, taking them off to prison, forcibly, and then having many of them put to death. Well, maybe that doesn't touch our heart this morning because we haven't experienced that. But what if it it breaks out like that in America? What if they come and and drag you out of your house, men and women and children, and take you and put you in prison and put you to death? See, then it might mean something to you, what I'm preaching to you this morning. But we're so distanced from these things that that we really don't have an understanding. You know, we, we do get to make it to church. These people are dying for their faith. I don't know, maybe it will happen to America. The Bible says in verse 4, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. So now to avoid the persecution, see, God doesn't tell you you have to stay right there. You understand? Just don't deny him. So, but to, to avoid the persecution, they're getting out of Jerusalem now. The fire is spreading the gospel. The persecution is spreading the gospel you think about your brothers and sisters in foreign countries and they're persecuted for the faith, you know, it spreads the gospel. I'm not saying it's a good thing for them to be persecuted. We need to weep and cry over the fact that they die, that they're being persecuted. We need to have that kind of spirit and that kind of attitude. But I'm telling you that God takes that and uses it to spread the gospel. The blood of Stephen is the seed that's going to spread the gospel to the world. You see, Stephen's dead, but now the church is going to grow. You understand? It's always been that way. You can look at church history. When the true church of Jesus Christ is persecuted, the church grows. It doesn't get smaller. It gets bigger. When persecution hit the church, these people didn't turn their back on Jesus Christ. These people stayed faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ even if it meant their death. Now listen, I'm just asking you questions today. What about you and I? What if persecution were to hit your house? Would you stay faithful to the Lord? Or would you turn your back on God and say, oh, it's too hard. It's too hard. I don't want to suffer like this. I don't want to go through this time of difficulty. And so, turn the back. No. These people didn't turn their back on God. It didn't matter what was hitting them. They stayed faithful to the Lord. Men, women, and children. The good news is though that Jesus Christ, now I know this is common sense, but what you need to realize is that when they were going through the persecution, nor did they, turn, they didn't turn their back on Him, but nor did God turn His back on them. And if you're going through persecution, you might think, where are you God? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Lord, have you turned your back on the church? No. So I'm telling you, they didn't turn their back on God, Jesus, and nor did Jesus Christ turn His back on them. All right, amen, amen, amen. He used it to spread the Gospel. And the Bible says as they were scattered out there like a, a farmer would scatter seed, the Bible says they went and preached the Word. Right, amen. Say amen. They preached the Word. Amen, amen. They gospelized the Word. They weren't formal preachers. Hallelujah. They went out in the streets, the highways and the byways, everywhere they went as they were scattered abroad. They went everywhere preaching the Word. It wasn't the apostles doing this right now. They were, but I'm saying in this passage, it's the church as a whole. Not formal preachers like Peter or Paul, but yet out there in the streets, sharing, gospelizing the Word. Evangelizing evangelizing, preaching the gospel to the lost. Not a formal preacher just going out there and sharing with other people what God has done with them. Sharing it with them how that they could be a part of the church just simply sharing. Not formal preachers, but simply going out there sharing, evangelizing, spreading. One One preacher, put it this way, they were gossiping the gospel. And most people, when they gossip, they don't gossip the Gospel. They gossip something else. But these people right here, they were gossiping the Gospel. They just got together. Instead of talking about politics, they talked about the Gospel. Instead of talking about Barack Obama, they talked about the Gospel. Instead of talking about the economy, they talked about the Gospel. You understand I'm telling you? They gossiped the gospel. They just That was what they were about. That's who they were. So everywhere they went, that's what they talked about. Jesus Christ. How you can get in the church. How you can be saved. That was their whole life. And as a result of that, people from all over the world. And that's what Stephen died for. It's to get them out of Jerusalem. Even though he didn't know that, that's the way God was going to use it to get those people out of those four doors of that church and get them out there in the streets talking about Jesus Christ. Just gossiping the Gospel. Telling people all over the place about the goodness of God. And Jesus has come. And you can be saved. And everywhere they went, people started coming in the church by the hands of people who were not formal preachers. Just people. Just ordinary church people gossiping. The Gospel. Hallelujah. If we start gossiping about everything else, and start gossiping the Gospel, instead of getting on the phone, hey, what do you think about it? I don't care what you think. Let's talk about Jesus. Alright, so you get the point right now. Just get out there just share. Hallelujah. Well, I'm not a former preacher. You don't have to be. God wants to scatter you Take you in his hand and just scatter you, sow you into the world. Wherever you are, whatever you, are, whatever your occupation is, wherever you work, God has sold, I don't know if you realize this, but God has sold you in that workplace. God put you in that workplace, not just so you could make a living for your family. God put you in that workplace. He sold you into that workplace. To talk to those people that are around you about Jesus Christ. When was the last time you ever even mentioned His name to anybody there? That's why He put you there in that workplace. For you to share the Gospel. Not not just so young you get a paycheck. He puts you there because you are a person who's carrying the Gospel. He wants to scatter you. You got that job at AT&T. Not just to make a paycheck, but so you can win some people there at AT&T. There's somebody there where you work that's waiting for the Gospel to come to them. And it won't come to them if you don't give it to them. And so they just went everywhere. Instead of staying in Jerusalem, they got out of Jerusalem. They had been pushed away from Judaism, pushed away from that temple, and now they're going out in the world and they're preaching the Word of God. They're scattered everywhere. So, well, I got my job just so I can make a living for my, my family. No, you got that job because God sold you there. God put you there. God put you in that school. Not, you know, not just so you could be cool and with a bunch of friends. God put you in that school so you could gossip the gospel to them. The spirit of evangelism. The spirit of gospelizing of The word has hit this church now. But it took persecution to get them out there to do what they were supposed to be doing all along. Are y'all here with me today? Oh, I thank God for every one of you. And I'm not not preaching down to you because this church has. You've got the spirit of evangelism. You care about the lost. Yes, you do! Just about everybody in this church, just about every one of you, was reached on the streets. What I mean by that, we didn't pull you out of some other Jesus' name church. The majority of you that's in this church right now, you were won to the Gospel by somebody in this church. I'm not interested in going to pull in some old backslid Pentecostal out of a church and put them in my church. All I have is more trouble if I pull them back sitting Pentecostal out of that church and put them in this church. Give me somebody on the street. Somebody that's lost on their way to hell and bring them into the church of the living God. And it's work. It is work to disciple you. It's work to change your thinking and to change your religious minds and to change the way you live. It's hard. It's work. It's a battle. But that's what it's all about. So, the majority of the people that's in this church today are people who you weren't in the church. You weren't baptized in Jesus' name. You weren't filled with the Holy Ghost until you came into this church. Say, well, Pastor, let's just go get some people. Let's go some, get some people out of those other Pentecostal churches. You yeah, know, I don't want them. Uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, no, no, no. No, give me somebody that's out there on the streets and when they come in, they're going to appreciate what God has done for them. Now, I'm not saying they don't. I'm not saying, you know where I'm coming from here. I don't want to take them from there and put them in here. We're supposed to be winning the lost. Are y'all with me today? I love them, I love them, I love them. I love them. You know what I'm talking about. So God has put you in that workplace. He scattered you there. He put you there. If one door closed at one workplace and you had to go to work somewhere else, God had a reason for that. Because there's somebody at the new place that needs to hear the Gospel from your lips. Praise God! You're really blessed. You're really blessed when you go to that job when you go to that job, whatever days of the week you go to that job, you are really blessed to be mingling with the lost. You are really blessed on a daily basis to be out there mingling with the lost. don't know how blessed you are to be able to, on a daily basis to be all around you that are lost going to die and go to hell. But you have the opportunity to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ and to tell them how to be born again. Say praise the Lord. Well, I'm not getting too far this morning, am I? I got, I'm down here to about verse four. That's as far as I've made it so far. Hallelujah. It wasn't, it wasn't. God didn't just save you to save you. Do you understand that? God didn't just save you to save you. God saved you so He could plant you into the world. He saved you so He could sell you as wheat into the world. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God for every new soul, every new saint of God that's in the house of God today. The Bible says, look at this. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. So sometimes hardships and closed doors and persecution, you look at them and say, this is a bad thing. God says, I'm going to take it I'm going to use it for my purpose. You understand what I'm telling you today? Give the Lord praise in the house. It'll, it'll, it'll give you a different perspective on persecution. It'll give you a different perspective on suffering. It'll give you a different perspective as why one door closes and another opens. It'll give you a totally different perspective when you understand that even though it might be a bad thing, God will take that and use it for His purpose. That's the way He is. So this persecution—you know really what this persecution was all about, brothers and sisters. You know there was miracles breaking out all around that church. You know people get excited about miracles. If somebody gets healed, woo! Yeah. Well, we get excited about miracles, don't we? Some of y'all are miracles sitting right here—miracles of healing, for sure. Miracles of salvation, and we get all excited. You know, deaf ears, open blind eyes that can, couldn't see, can see, lame walk. We get excited about all miracles. We get excited if Cole gets healed. We get excited everything. We get excited about that. But I want to tell you what happened. When Stephen brought that, those miracles to their logical conclusion, that's when the persecution broke out. The miracles that you see happening, this is what those miracles mean. These miracles mean that Jesus is the Lord and the one you killed is the Messiah. The one you killed is resurrected from the dead. The one you killed is reigning supreme as the Lord of the universe. When Stephen stood up, And He brought those miracles to a logical conclusion. He told them what they meant. That's when the persecution broke out. You say, we get excited about a miracle. Wow, what a powerful miracle. God just worked a miracle. But then we go over there and stand over your shoulder. And we say, let me tell you what that miracle means now. That miracle means that Jesus is the Lord. Of heaven and earth. That means He's the Lord of the universe. That means that we... Oh, you're with me? That means that we need to live completely, totally dedicated to Him. That miracle. That miracle. It doesn't start with it itself. It's pointing back to Jesus Christ. It's telling you who He is. And so when Stephen brought it all to its logical conclusion, he said, guess what? What this means. There won't be a need for the temple. You catch what I'm telling you? that old way of doing things, it's over now. That's the logical conclusion. That's what that miracle means. That Sadducee belief system's falling apart. The temple is fixed to be destroyed 40 years from now. All of that's fixed to come to an end. When He brought it to its logical conclusion, when He explained to them what it meant, that's when the persecution hit the church. So we get excited when we see miracles, but what does the miracle mean to us? What is it saying to us? That's what brought the persecution. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, church. And from there we have Philip. Philip, who was one of the deacons. He was one of the seven, remember? They they appointed to try to settle the squabble between the the Grecian Grecian, uh, widows and the Hebrew widows, the Greek-speaking widows and the Hebrew-speaking widows. They appointed these seven men called deacons. We call them deacons because the words behind the message. Philip was one of them, along with Stephen. And, and Philip doesn't just say a deacon. Philip becomes an evangelist. Okay? He doesn't just say a table waiter that we saw in the sixth chapter. He becomes an evangelist. In fact, later on, Acts 20, 21, 21, you will find that his daughters are following in his footsteps. They are prophetesses. He was an evangelist. And so Philip, the Bible tells us, who originally, this is not Philip of the twelve disciples. This is Philip of the seven that were chosen, along with Stephen being one of them. This man, this deacon, not one of the twelve apostles. It says, He went down to the city of Samaria. Say Samaria. And preached Christ unto them. Now, look at this. If you're in your mind you can do this. Galilee's at the top in the north of Israel. Samaria is in the middle. And Judea is in the south. Okay? So Samaria is in the middle. Now, the Bible says, Jerusalem, he's going to go from Jerusalem, he's going to go to Samaria. Samaria. Amen. The capital city of old Israel, right? He's going to go to Samaria, and uh, there in Samaria are located the Samaritans, the Samaritans. Now the Bible tells us, he went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Say Christ. He didn't preach about the economy. He didn't preach about politics. He didn't talk about George Bush or Barack Obama. He, he preached Christ unto them. He preached Christ unto them. Amen. He didn't preach a denominational system. Did you hear what I said? He didn't preach his denomination. He preached Christ unto them. Amen. Denominationalism is nothing more than the workings of men. He preached Christ unto them. He didn't try to convert them to become a Baptist or a, you know what I'm saying, or a Church of Christ or, a, or even a Pentecostal, denominationally speaking. He preached Christ unto them. Say amen. Amen. We're at in Samaria. Samaria? You need somebody like Philip to go down there. You need a, a Hellenistic Jew. A Greek speaking Jew. To go speak in Samaria. Because the Jerusalem Jews. Those Jews who have prestige. Those... Jerusalem Jews, those Hebrew speaking Jews would have nothing to do with Samaria. Samaria. They wouldn't even walk through Samaria. They didn't want to have anything to do with those Samaritans. They would walk about 70 miles out of the way. You know what I'm saying? To go around Samaria. Samaria. Bible said Jesus said one day I must we must I must needs go through Samaria. The Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans; they are bitter enemies. They hate each other. Who are these Samaritans? These Samaritans remember way back in the Assyrian captivity, and that's where we are in the Old Testament in the, on Wednesday nights. The Assyrian captivity: the Assyrians would take Israel out of the land take them captive into Assyria, and then they would repopulate the land of Israel with other peoples of the world that were captured. So there would be a little bit of Israelites left in the land, and the Assyrians would take the majority out, leave a little part of it in the land, and they would repopulate the land with peoples from all over the world that were captured. And that's where the Samaritans came from. They were the people that the Assyrians repopulated the land with. And so way back in those days, the Samaritans are these people that repopulated the land, would begin to intermingle with the Jews. And these Samaritans that are these people from other lands of the world who were idol worshipers, moved by the Assyrians into the land They would begin to mingle with the Jews and they would bring a little bit of what they believed into what the Jews believed and they would just kind of combine it all together. They believed a little bit about what the Jews believed. They believed in the first five books of the Bible but none of the prophets. Okay? So they pick and choose. They pick and chose. The Samaritans did. They pick and chose what they wanted of the Jewish faith and incorporated it into their idolatrous system of worship. Are y'all with me? That's where they came from. They were a mixture religiously. And not only that, but some of those that repopulated the land of Israel, of different parts of the world, they would marry up maybe with some of the Jewish people. So there was a mingling and a mixture of religions and families. And this is where the Samaritans came from. And remember back in the days of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah went back and they were going to rebuild uh, the walls of Jerusalem. In the days of Ezra, they were going to build the, the, the temple, rebuild the temple. And the Samaritans in the land wanted to help rebuild. And Nehemiah said, no, you can't help us rebuild. And there was a bitter, bitter anger and a bitter rivalry uh, between the, the Samaritans and the Jews over that And it just got worse and worse and worse so that a Jew, he wouldn't even want to walk through the land of Samaria. It was so, such a bitter rivalry. And 400 BC, the Samaritans built their own rival temple up in Mount Gerizim. A rival temple to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. 400 years BC. So look in John 4, that's why the question, you know, do we worship God in this mountain or in Jerusalem? Where are we supposed to worship God? The Samaritan woman said. Because there was a rival temple in that day to the temple in Jerusalem. Watch this. So God in His infinite wisdom, He sends a man by the name of Philip, who's a, not a Jerusalem Jew, but a Hellenistic Jew, a Greek speaking Jew. Y'all with me right now? Okay? So the prejudice is not as great. And he walks into Samaritan, these mongrel people, if you will, these people full of mixture of religion and uh, ancestry, who have a little bit of, you know, the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible in their faith, and they got their rival temple going on over here. He walks into Samaria with the Gospel, keeping in mind that these two religious systems of Judaism and Samaritanism Judaism could never conquer the Samaritans and the Samaritans could never conquer Judaism. They were rivals. Bitter enemies. Okay? And here comes this Holy Ghost filled man named Philip who's a deacon who's full of power. He's full of the Holy Ghost. Are y'all here? Signs, miracles and wonders and fiction to break out all around him in Samaria These mongrel kind of people, if you will. Do you understand what I'm telling you today? These hated people, if you will. The church is fixing to conquer them where Judaism couldn't conquer them. Are y'all here right now? So he goes into that very place of Samaria. The Bible says he preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake hearing, and seeing the miracles which he did. They put their attention on him. Man, they had their eyes on that man. They listened to every word that's coming out of that man's mouth. They want to hear everything he's saying. They are focused people, man. You couldn't distract them. You dropped a bomb in the middle of their city. They'd still be listening to Philip. They were so focused on what that man was preaching and what he was saying and preaching Christ, preaching the Messiah to them, telling them the Messiah is come. I don't even know if the Samaritans were looking for a Messiah. The Jews were and they missed him. But here we go. Jerusalem has had revival. Now Samaria is going to have revival just like Jesus told them to. And so what we have here is a people who probably were not looking for a Messiah according to extra-biblical writings that they wrote. But this man comes along and says, Messiah is come. Jesus Christ is come. The Messiah of the Jews is come. The Savior of the world is come. The Lord from heaven is come. And He started preaching Christ, the Messiah. That's what Christ means. The Messiah, the Anointed One is come. He's here in spirit now. Now remember, Jesus had already started this evangelism program in the days of His life in the fourth chapter of John when He met that woman at the well. And that woman at the well began to go out in Samaria and preach Jesus to those in Samaria. He started it way back when he was alive. Yeah, you remember a Samaritan was, a, was a, a, leper, a leper that was healed of his leprosy or cleansed of his leprosy? The one that came back was a Samaritan. A Samaritan. Jesus cleansed him of his leprosy when he was alive. A Samaritan. It was a Samaritan woman that preached Christ to the Samaria the first time. He started the evangelism program. It was the good Samaritan. That found the Jewish man on the side of the road. A Samaritan hated by the Jews. See, Jesus even in His days was already setting this evangelism program up. And so now, I wonder how many people that woman talked to about Jesus Christ. The stage is, the stage is set. One plants, one waters. God gives the increase. So here comes Philip. This, Greek speaking Jew, this Hellenistic Jew, not a Jerusalem Jew, not, not full of prejudice. He goes down into Samaria and the stage has been set because a woman, hallelujah, been married five times and once she lived with was not her own, she set the stage. She's already sowed the seed. And so he goes in this, this Hellenistic Jew, Philip, Goes in and starts preaching Christ unto them. And the people are so focused, they see the miracles and the signs which He does. He's not an apostle, but He's working miracles and signs. There are some today that that if you're not an apostle, you can't work miracles and signs. Really? He was an apostle. There are some who say, if you're not an apostle, you can't receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. He wasn't an apostle. He was a deacon. Turned evangelist. And He goes down... He starts preaching Christ and miracles breaking out all around. In verse 7, unclean spirits crying out. With a loud voice came out of many. These people have fuel with demonic spirits. When he's preaching Christ to them, he's preaching the kingdom of God. The power of God is being manifested. The presence of the Lord. And spirits that are in people are coming out. And when they come out of their bodies, they scream with a loud scream. Today you would just say they have a phobia. Today you would say that person just has a syndrome. Today you would say that person is just psychotic. But I want to tell you something today. The demonic spirits are just as real today as they were then. And a lot of the things we call psychosis or syndromes or phobias are spirits. I'm not saying that everybody that has a phobia or a psychosis or, or you know, a syndrome has a demonic spirit. There are some people who have phobias. They have syndromes. They have psychosis. Don't mean they have spirits. But everybody that has psychosis, syndromes, or phobias, some of those people have demonic spirits in them. And so when Philip starts preaching, these spirits that are connected to their souls... This is not just mental illness. This is a spiritual, demonic spirit that is connected with the souls of these people. And the only way that they can get delivered is by the name of Jesus Christ. And when Philip starts preaching Christ to them, the Messiah has come. He preached Jesus to them. He preached the kingdom of God to them. The Bible tells us that. These spirits come out of these people, and when they come out, they scream with a loud voice. And you could tell they were delivered from a demonic spirit. Thank God. You know, pray pray to God that there's enough Jesus in you and me and in this church that if somebody comes in this house and we start preaching Christ, that spirits leave them and they ah, scream because that spirit leaves their body. Amen. Amen. The Bible goes on to tell us, not only these unclean spirits crying out a loud, voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsy. That means their muscles would not work. Palsy. They could not contract their muscles. They could not move their muscles. They had the palsy. The Bible says these people who had these, this muscle disorder, the Scripture tells us that they were healed. Those that had the palsy and the lame, they were healed. Isn't that powerful? Revival is breaking out in the Samaritans, these mongrel people religiously, and these mongrel people, come on somebody, ancestrally. This, there's a revival hidden Samaria. This is what Jesus told them to do to begin with. But it took persecution to get them out of the religion they were in, to get them out of Judaism, to break them away from the temple. It takes this Hellenistic Jew to go down there with no, pre- and all revival's breaking out. Spirits coming out of them. The lame being healed. Those are the palsy being healed, but they're not saved. See, a lot of people today think that they just have some experience with Jesus. They equate an experience with Jesus as salvation. Some people get delivered of a demonic spirit, they think they're saved. No, they were just delivered of a demonic spirit. Some people have an experience of healing. They think that healing equals salvation. You can be healed and be delivered of demonic spirits and still be lost. We live in a world today that any experience with Jesus equates salvation. I'm going to show you what it takes to be saved. But thank God for the delivering working power of God. Demonic spirits coming out of these people. The palsy healed. The lame healed. Oh, this is a a powerful, powerful revival in Samaria. And there was great joy in that city. Great joy. When you get right with God, when people start getting right with God, joy comes back. Let me tell you something. If you and I this morning, I don't care who you are, say, or not, if you're not right with God, you have no joy. But when you get right with God and there's a move of God in your church, the joy will hit you and it will hit the church. But you have to be right with God to have joy. I see people, things working on them all the time. Spirits or things going on in their life working all the time. They don't have any joy. You get right with God and the joy is going to come back. Come on. Nobody can take your joy. If you'll just get right with God Almighty, if you'll get right with the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll get your joy back. Yeah. Sit a point in your finger at this situation, that circumstance, and this is why I'm not happy. Oh, I don't feel good today. Forget it. Get right with God. And your joy will come back. Because joy, the Bible says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not that ritualistic ceremonial anymore. It's not meat and drink. It's not in the ceremonies anymore. But it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. In the Holy Ghost. How many are full of joy this morning? If you get right with God, you'll get your joy back. Where I just wish I was happy. I'm not looking for happiness. Happiness is based on my happenings. And my happenings don't happen to happen the way I want them to happen. I'm not happy. So I'm not after happiness. I'm after joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The way you get joy is when you get right with God Almighty. And you let a church get right with God and the church will be full of joy. You let a city get right with God and the city will be full of joy. You let a house get right with God and the house will be filled with joy. Not happiness. Happiness can take your happiness away. But nothing can take your joy. I can put you on a guillotine, cut your head off, and you can go out singing. You hear what I'm telling you? They put you, they feed you to lions. But if you're right with God Almighty, you can stand in the amphitheater and sing the praises of God Almighty, and the lions devouring you, but you still got your joy. Nobody can take that away from you if you're right with God. Reason why the church as a whole doesn't have joy because the church isn't right with God. It's not right with God. Get right with God. Here we go. Joy hitting that place, but that's not salvation. They're moving toward God. They're excited about the miracles they're seeing, they're excited about people getting delivered to spirits, you know, they're, they're moving toward God getting right with God here. and oh man, the joy's coming. But that doesn't mean salvation. See somebody, goes, I was just so happy when I went to church today. Does't mean you're saved?? Oh, well I wasn't happy when I went to church. Well, you mightn't want to praise God for that too. You hear what I said? If you left that church and you were mourning over sin and you you knew you weren't right with God and you left that way, you might ought to praise God for that because God's convicting you of your life. And when you repent, then the joy is going to come. But sometimes you have to have some sorrow. You have to have some godly sorrow before that joy can come. That's called repentance. So you don't always come to church just to be happy. I don't come here today to be happy. Hallelujah to the Lamb. If I came to church to be happy, I probably would never come to church, man. I'm telling you the truth right now. I didn't come to church to get happy. I came to get right with God. And if I'm not right with God, I won't have joy. But when I get right, when I repent, and I get right, the joy of the Lord floods my soul. I'm not happy, Pastor. I don't really care. Get right with God. And your joy will fill your soul. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Make me happy, Pastor. I can't make you happy. Your wife can't even make you happy. You can't even make your wife happy. You want me to make you happy? You come to church? No. I call you to God. I call you to get right with God. And when you get right with God, then you'll leave singing. Then you'll leave rejoicing. I can't make you happy. I can't put on enough programs. I can't bring enough monkeys in the church and make them ride their tricycles enough. I can't throw enough peanuts at you to make you happy. You don't know me by now. You, you know me now. I never am going to try to make you happy. That's impossible. I'll call you to God. I'll preach Christ to you. And if you'll get right, Jesus, the joy will be there. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. I'm going to church today so I can be happy. Oh, I'm going to church today to be right with God. I'm going to church to be right with God. I'm going to church to hear the Word of God. It might slap me upside the head, but I thank God. Let His Word slap me upside the head. Wake me up. Shake me up. Yeah. Forget your philosophy. Forget your philosophy. Joy is something that's rooted in the Spirit of God. And that's what He gives us. Amen. Amen. I thank God. You know, I, I've, seen, I've seen some brothers in the church, they're so full of joy, they cry. They're so full of joy. That's strange. So, joy doesn't have anything to do with happiness, joy has to do with some work of God that's taking place in your life. Hallelujah. I thank Brother Ryle in the head of today. Let me tell you something. If this church only reached one person in its history, And when it reached Ra-Nahedah, that's one of the greatest miracles that God has ever done. Snatched him, literally snatched him off his deathbed. The man weighed 300 pounds or better. Snatched him off his deathbed. Addicted to drugs. I I don't even. I can't even remember how many beers he drank a day. I I couldn't believe when I read his testimony how many beers a day he was drinking. Addicted to to drinking and smoking dope on the side at the same time on his deathbed. Overweight, friend. they They were saying it's over for him. Look at him now. That's one of the greatest miracles that God has done in this church is Brother Raul Hera. Saved that brother. Pulled him off his deathbed. Broke his addiction to drugs. Broke his addiction to alcohol. And now he's in the church. He's not in a grave. He's not dead. He's living. He's alive. He's got so much joy for God. He's, he just, he's full of joy. Amen. Just full of joy. He said, he, he, he said, Pastor, you buy the materials, buy that tile in the front, I want to put tile in the church. We got the materials, I want to tell you something, friend. We got, he was there right after we made the decision what tile to put in there, he was there laying it down. He, he, he's, oh, he's something else, man. Something else, it's finished. He didn't let it, well, I'll put a towel down today and, and then I'll come back next week and I'll put down another towel, you know. And, and the church had to walk in the dirt, you know, and for about two months and to finally get done. No, he had it done. He had that thing, it blew my mind. He had it done. Hallelujah. I believe in one night it was finished. So I was laying the thing. God gave him his life back, gave him a job, gave his family back, saved his soul. Gave him his strength. He's working. He's working. He's a working man now. He's a working man now. God did it for him. But here's my point. I see him standing back there sometime just so in love with God. Tears running down his face. Those aren't tears of pain. Those are tears of joy. Hallelujah! Maybe some of you got too much religion still inside of you. You can't come to church and throw up your hands and be so thankful for what the Lord has done for you. Hallelujah. Thankful for what the Lord has done. If you don't appreciate what God's done for you, you'll never appreciate what anybody else does for you. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I thought about it last night. God, if He's the only one this church ever reached, and it's not. He's not. He's the greatest miracle. He was worth the church being here. He's God literally, listen, like Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that's really just about what He did for Brother Ronald here. He pulled him right out of the sepulcher. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Jesus Christ did that. I said, Jesus did that. I didn't do that. I couldn't do that. There's no way I could do that. Jesus did that. What about you? He pulled you out of hell. He pulled the devil out of you. How many demons did Jesus Christ deliver you from? No, tell me how many devils some of you had before you came to to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ sent those demons out of you. And when they went out, they screamed when they went out. I know some of you before you got in the church. I told people they got a demon in them. Hallelujah. I told them point blank. Well, I don't like them talking to me about. It. Well you did, you know you did. You know you were a devil. The reason why you were a devil is because you had a devil in you, but you got in the church, God sets you free. now you're a changed man. Instead of being so powerful, throw up your hands and say thank you Jesus. My pastor, my pastor hit it right. when he said I had a devil. I had a devil. I admit I had a devil. But Jesus set me free. You understand? Joy of the Lord. The addictions that were broken in your life. Some God brought you out of gangs and brought you out of mafias and much brought you out of drug rings and all kinds of stupid stuff. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You ought to be thankful today for what the Lord has done in your life. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. I tell you what, when they looked on Stephen's face, he shone, his face shone like an angel. they killing him. Rocks in his mouth. Rocks in his ears. Rocks in his eyes. Dying in bones, cracking, breaking skull. Broken. Dying, but with the glory of God on his face. Don't talk to me about, well, I'm just not happy. Don't give me that foolishness. You're not under a power of rocks today. But even if you were right now, you could have the joy of the Lord. Give the Lord praise. Give the Lord praise. Oh, it's so hard to live for Jesus. Just remember where you came from. Remember the hellhole God brought you out of. He brought you out of the hellhole. Delivered you, set you in the church, raised you up as a pillar in the house of God Almighty. You ought to be thankful. I'm thankful every day. I said, I'm thankful every day. I'm still thankful today. After 30 years, 30 years, 30 years of being in the church, God got me when I was 18. 30 years of being in the church, I never, I never lose my thanks to God. Uh, on a daily basis, I'm just—I get more and more thankful because I see what a devil I am without Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, every one of us in this house are nothing but a bunch of devils. You hear what I'm telling you? Every day, and the more you realize that, the more joy you have. But God saved you—what a miracle that was! You want want to talk about me? You want to say what a devil I am? I'll refine. I could really care less. I know what a devil I am without Jesus Christ. So don't play your games with me. I'm thankful every day for what God has done for me. You're not supposed supposed to talk about yourself like that. I know what I am without Jesus. I said, I know what I am without Jesus Christ. And the sooner you come to that understanding, the more you're going to come to the house of God with thankfulness. You'll be thankful too. Hallelujah to the Lamb! You'll look at it like this. I didn't deserve Him coming to me, but He did. Look what He's done. And what He's done for me, He can do for you. It's not because we were some kind of special elite people. We're all messed up without Jesus Christ. Every one of us, from me to you from the pulpit to the pew. Every one of of us messed up without Jesus Christ. I guarantee you, Jesus Christ, leave your life and tomorrow you'll you'll be so demonically possessed. You'll be so messed up and so full of drugs and addictions. If it's not drugs, it's some other kind of addiction. Jesus Christ, leave your life one minute. You'll be nothing but chaos tomorrow. You need to thank God for every day. Every day! Every day you're still in the church! Every day that He came to you! Every day! Demons got cast out of you, addictions broken, healed in your body. You need to thank God every day for being in the church. Well, I'm not getting very far this morning. I'm down to about what now? I'm down there at about verse 9. Hallelujah. But I'm starting to feel the Lord now. Starting to feel the Holy Ghost now. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. He's always, He's already been, He's, he's been here just about me getting me out of the way. I can just get me out of the way, let God have His way. Hallelujah. Give the Lord some praise. They're in the house. That's... Jesus Christ is great. He says, now we come now. Okay, where would all these spirits come from? Where would all these people get these demonic spirits? Well, there was a man in town whose name was Simon. He was a sorcerer. He was involved in pharmakia drugs and using drugs and putting spells on people. And he was uh, involved in the occult and sorcery and witchcraft. And oh, he was a mess named Simon. And the Bible tells us that the people in Samaria thought he was a great one. In fact, they said this man is the great power of God. This man, Simon, has a part of God in him. That's what they said. He is a great one. He's the, he is the great power of God. He's the power of God in human form. That's what they believed about Simon. But he was nothing more than a hoax. He was nothing more than a pretender. And by his tricks, and by his spells, and by his witchcraft, he had the people amazed at him. And so the Bible says this man, Simon, these spirits all over the place in people, you know, and Simon, the sorcerer, is here in this city. The scripture tells us he used sorcery. He bewitched the people. That means he put them under a spell. They were amazed at him. It was nothing but tricks. There was a manifestation. It was a manifestation of demon power. You with me right now? And he knew it. He knew he was a phony. He knew he was. The Bible says, giving out that he himself was some great one. Luke using the word great again. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. He's he's the power of God personified. No, he's not either. No, that's what they said, but he wasn't. Some kind of priest there in the city over occultism, some kind of priest who claimed to have uh, be the great power of God. And this is the way they looked at him. His tricks and his manifestations of demons and things and sorcery. The Bible said that to him they had regard because at a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. He put them under a spell. He amazed them. But when they believed Philip... Look at this. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ... He preached Christ to them. He preached the kingdom of God to them. He preached the name of Jesus Christ. This takes you back to the days of Egypt, you guys. I'll calm down. That's scaring you when I get all excited like that. I'll calm down here so I don't scare you. (laughs) But you remember days in the days of Egypt when Moses walked in there with Aaron and and the Egyptian Pharaoh's courtiers, uh, Pharaoh's Egyptians, uh, sorcerers there, the magicians that were there. Moses walks in with Aaron and the battle's on. And their trickery and their you know, hoax and all that is fixing to be uncovered because the true power of God is showing up. Are y'all here right now? And the power of God. Uh, Take your staff, Moses. Throw it on the ground. He took his staff, throw it on the ground. His serpent ate up all the rest of the serpents. I mean, this is the true power of God. Are these serpents right here? Yeah, they're real serpents, but yeah, no, this is the real power of God. Just chew them all up. Just eat them up. So, this is a counterpart to the, to the Egyptian uh, contest between Moses and uh, those magicians in the fort, court of Pharaoh. Now, watch what happens. So, the Bible says, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Isn't that awesome? This is awesome. Amen. Amen. They're fixing to be delivered from the spell of this man, Simon. Look at this. This man, listen, the scripture tells us this man was standing at a distance. And he was watching people getting delivered to demonic spirits. He's sort of like a medicine man. You see, you know, in those old tribes, you had a witch doctor and a medicine man. And a witch doctor, he'd put curses on you. But a medicine man would use witchcraft to help you. So this man is not so much a witch doctor as he is a medicine man. You with me? And he's standing at a distance and he sees this man Philip, full of the Holy Ghost, signs, miracles, and wonders breaking all around him. The power of God manifesting in his life. He sees people getting delivered. to spirits the screaming as they go out of him. He sees the lame getting healed. He sees the palsy getting healed. Hallelujah. He sees joy hitting those people's lives. And he's standing back and he's watching this manifestation. And he knows that's the real deal. Yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> and as he's preaching, the Bible says they're believing. These people are believing. He's preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteous, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That means I know he was preaching the Holy Ghost to them. Because the kingdom of God, Romans 14 says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteous, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. He says, they preach the name of Jesus Christ to them. Look at that. The name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. So now, we're moving beyond deliverance and we're moving beyond miracles. We're now moving to the realm of salvation of the soul. Salvation of the soul. So now, these people in Samaria are getting baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what did he preach? He preached Christ. What did he preach? The kingdom of God. What did he preach? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he did, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, When it says they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it literally means they were baptized into His name. Into His name. Some preachers say that He was preaching the authority of the name. Some will say He baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But that was the authority of the name. That is not Bible. The Bible doesn't tell us they baptized in the authority of the name. They baptize into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means just like Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They didn't just baptize in the authority of. They called the name of Jesus Christ over them in water baptism. And when they called the name of Jesus over them, in water baptism, they were literally entering into the name of Jesus Christ. Give the Lord praise in the house. Oh, I thank God. When we baptize you, we baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Amen. Now, we already told you before as we're going through the book of Acts that there is no such thing as a Christian, a believer in that New Testament church, no such thing as a Christian or a believer in that New Testament church that was not baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. No such thing. And we told you by the Scripture that when they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, Instantly, they were filled with the Spirit. With me? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Made up of two parts. Water baptism and Spirit baptism. So in that early church, it wasn't like you baptize them in Jesus' name and then six months later they get the Holy Ghost. In that early church, you baptize them in Jesus' name and they automatically got the Holy Ghost when they came out of the water. Because it was one baptism, but two parts. So now we've got a people here. I already told you that. That's the way it was in the Bible. When they were baptized in Jesus' name, they instantly received the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. Okay? Listen. Or they were filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues and then immediately were baptized in Jesus' name after that. It was always one event. These Samaritans... Are going to do something. You need to hear me if some of you may be getting ready to leave, but you need to hear this preacher on this. Because at this point, these people are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means they've had the name of Jesus called over them in water baptism, but they don't get the Holy Ghost. Watch this. They do not get the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. The norm is, are you here with me? Listen carefully. The norm is baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of sins and receiving the Holy Ghost at the same time. That is normal Christianity. But here in the book of Acts, the 8th chapter, we have an abnormal situation. We have an unusual situation because they get baptized in Jesus' name only and do not receive the Holy Ghost. This is totally unusual, totally abnormal, and it is something that they do not accept as normal Christianity. You hear what I'm telling you? See, a lot of people will say, well, look, they repented of their sins and they got baptized in Jesus' name, so they're going to heaven. And they leave town. But I'm going to show you that even though these people had repented of their sins and were baptized in Jesus' name, the apostles didn't look at it or Philip didn't look at it and say, they're okay. They knew that was not normal. They knew something was missing here. They knew they could not settle for this. They could not be satisfied with this. In fact, they are in emergency mode. They are in emergency mode because they have never seen anybody baptized in Jesus' name that didn't get the Holy Ghost immediately. They are in emergency mode. We have never seen this before. This is something totally different. We don't understand. What's going on here? What is the problem? How come these people, when they're baptized in Jesus' name, they don't get the, they didn't get the Holy Ghost? What? They're in emergency mode. We have never seen this before. This is most unusual. You hear what I'm telling you? They did not accept it as being everything they needed. You watch what I'm telling you. So the Bible says, also Simon, he believed he was baptized. Verse 13, when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wanted to behold the miracles and signs which were done. And now when the apostles were introduced and heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet He was falling upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That word only lets you know there's something that's missing. They only, only, only were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Only! He said they didn't receive the Spirit. Catch me, church. Hear what I'm telling you. The doctrine of most churches today is that when you're baptized in water, they equate that baptism in water as receiving the Spirit. I'm telling you, these people were baptized in water, but the Scripture says they didn't receive the Holy Ghost. How is it that the apostles... When they, when watch this, when Philip baptizing these people in Jesus' name, they're coming out of the water. How could they tell that those people hadn't received the Holy Ghost? And then when they go on and receive the Holy Ghost, how did the apostles? How could they tell they received the Holy Ghost? You see what I'm tell, asking you? The question is, how did they know they didn't receive the Holy Ghost? How did they know they didn't receive the Spirit of God? How did they know they weren't saved at that point? And when they got the Holy Ghost, how did they know they got it? Received Him. Him. You with me right now? Because the Bible has already laid the pattern. When you get the Holy Ghost, you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And so because these people after baptism, when they came out of the water, when they didn't speak in tongues, they knew they had not received the Holy Ghost yet. I hate to be crossing... No, I don't hate to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to cross your theology. They were looking for the outward visible sign that these people received the Holy Ghost and it was the same outward visible sign of the day of Pentecost. They heard them speak with other tongues. Because these people weren't speaking in tongues when they came out of the water, they knew they hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet. Did you hear what I said? Like I say, most people say, well, you got the Spirit when you repented. You got the Spirit when you went and shook the pastor's hand. They will tell you you got the Spirit of God when you went to an altar and repented of sin. You you follow me? They will tell you when you got water sprinkled on your head or when you got water baptized in Jesus' name that you instantly received the Spirit of God. And that is not true. These people were baptized in Jesus' name but did not have the Spirit of God. That means they are not saved. You can't be saved without being regenerated, born again of the water and the Spirit. That's what Jesus said. So it is an emergency situation. We've never seen anything like this before. Somebody getting baptized in Jesus' name and not coming out of the water, receive the Spirit and speak in tongues. We've never seen that before. We gotta send for the apostles and we gotta get them to come down. Get them down here now. Get them down here now. Why did Jesus, why did the Lord not fill them with the Spirit instantly like He had other times? Why? You follow my question? They sent for the apostles. I could say, well, I remember what Jesus said about Peter. He's got the keys of the kingdom. So Peter's going to preach to the Jews in Acts 2. He's going to, are you with me? He's going to be sent forth for the Samaritans in Acts 8. And he's going to preach in Acts chapter 10 and open the door to the Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles. He's got the keys, so send for Peter. But then I would have to say, if somebody don't get the Holy Ghost, we better send for Peter because he's got the keys. I can't put myself in that box. I can tell you it's because, because Peter had the keys. Are y'all here? What I'm telling you today is this. Is there, I don't know totally why, but the Lord allowed them to be baptized in Jesus' name without receiving the Holy Ghost, which was unusual. He knew they would send for or moved on Philip to send forth the apostles so that the apostles would come down. Here's what I believe. If the apostles do not come down from Jerusalem, it is possible that the Samaritans will start their own church. But you bring the apostles down, come on somebody, from Jerusalem, and are y'all here? And they're involved. Now you have the Samaritans come into the same body. There's not the church in Jerusalem and the church in Samaria. It's one church. And the apostles that are in Jerusalem recognize these people as being a part of that one church. And that one church recognizes themselves as being a part of that one church. So send for the apostles! Amen. Now watch. That's my opinion. Unusual situation. Emergency time. Wow. What I'm telling you right now is critical for your salvation. And it's critical for you to tell everybody that you meet. Because there's some people, you do good to get them to an altar to repent. And in some churches say, oh, you came, and repented, you accepted Jesus as your Savior. You're saved! That's not in the Bible. Well, let's get them beyond repentance. Let's get them baptized in Jesus' name. They come out of the water. You look at them and say, You're saved! If they didn't get the Holy Ghost when they came out of the water, speaking with other tongues, if they did not receive the Spirit of Jesus Christ when they came out of that water or before they came out of that water, they are not saved. So listen! Philip is not satisfied with their experience of just baptism in Jesus' name. He knows they need more than that to be plunged into the Messianic Kingdom. So, they send for Peter and John. And the Bible tells us, look at this, verse 15, "...who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost." For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. What did he see? What was the outward visible manifestation that let the apostles know and let Simon know that these people who did not have the Holy Ghost just got the Holy Ghost? It was the same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. When they were filled with the Spirit, they all began to speak With other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And until you hear that person speaking in tongues, until you speak in tongues, we cannot tell you or say to you that you have been filled with the Spirit of God. You're not seeking tongues. You're seeking the Spirit. But when you get the Spirit, you will speak with tongues. You're not spe- seeking power. You're sp- seeking God. But when you get God, you'll get power. You're not seeking miracles. You're seeking the presence of Jesus. But when you get the presence of Jesus, the miracles and signs will follow you. You're not running out to miracles. They're running out to you. And you let any biblical scholar that is honest read Acts chapter 8. If they believe, all you have to do is accept Jesus as your personal Savior. If they are honest, they will tell you they are struggling with this passage. Because it is clear in the Bible that they were only baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and did not have the Spirit of the Lord. Well, somebody will say, you know, you got all these people who think they can figure it out to explain away what they believe or what really explain away what, you know, the Bible says. And they will say, well, uh, Pastor, they received the Spirit, but they didn't receive the Spirit with speaking in tongues. Or they received the Spirit for salvation, but they didn't receive the Spirit of a second blessing. No, the Bible says here clearly they had not yet received the Holy Ghost, period. Hallelujah to the Lamb. They don't say, well, they received the Spirit, you know, uh, to save them. But they had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues. Did you catch my train of thought? That's what some will say. They received the Spirit that saved them but they just didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Receiving the Spirit of the Lord and the baptism of the Holy Ghost are one and the same. Jesus, give Him praise! Give Him praise! Oh, I thank God for the truth! So now, they're one of baptized in Jesus' name, and now they're filled with the Holy Ghost, and there's an outward sign... And I know by the Word of God that it was tongues that let the apostles know and even Simon know they just received the Spirit of the Lord. They received the Holy Ghost. Give the Lord praise. Give the Lord praise. Give it. The... And you have no right, you have no right, no authority to ever tell anybody they have been filled with the Spirit or have received the Spirit if they have not spoke with tongues. You have no authority to do that. So we baptize people in Jesus' name, and you should instantly receive the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. But if you don't, I take a mental note in my spirit. They don't have the Holy Ghost yet. And we're going to keep praying for you, and we're going to keep believing God for you until you do. And when you do, then we will tell you. You're not abnormal. You're normal. You're not unusual. Oh, woo! 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 God. Glory to God. Glory to God. So there was a space of time. I want to tell you, there was a space of time. These people baptized Jesus. There was a space of time. They didn't get the Holy Ghost, which was unusual and abnormal for that New Testament church. They hadn't experienced this before. So we better get the apostles down here. We got to get some help with this one. Because we can't leave this the way it is. It is not acceptable. We are not satisfied with just that experience. Amen. Oh, you ought to lift your hands and praise God for the truth now. Okay. So I do know a little bit about what some charismatic churches preach that they, you know, they receive the Spirit but not the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's not what the Bible says. They did not receive the Holy Ghost. Other Spirit. They didn't receive the Spirit of God. That's what the Bible is clear. Say amen. amen. But I'm thankful they went on and experienced the full... Yes. in fact, experienced, experienced salvation. <laughs> Aren't you thankful today that you have? <clears throat> so you can get filled with the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues, but I can't tell you you're saved until you're water baptized in Jesus' name and have your sins remitted. Right. Or we can baptize you in water in the name of Jesus Christ If you don't get the Holy Ghost, I cannot tell you you're saved until you get the Holy Ghost. I thank God for the truth. Well, Well, what happened to Grandma? I don't know what happened to Grandma. You leave Grandma in God's hands. Grandma may have had more of God than you do. You hear what I'm telling you? Grandma and Grandpa, they were good church going people, but they didn't get baptized and get the Holy Ghost. Stay with this Bible. Amen. You have no authority to go outside of this Bible and tell somebody they need less than this. No authority. Okay? Hallelujah. I'll leave that in God's hands. I'll leave it in God's hands. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord praise. <laughs> Woo! So we know how Jerusalem experienced revival. We know how Jerusalem was saved. Repentance and baptism in name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost speak with the tongues. Now we know how the Samaritans are saved. And they're, the, they're saved the same way the Jews were in Jerusalem. They weren't saved a different way from the Jews in Jerusalem. They were saved the same way the Jews in Jerusalem were saved. They follow Acts 2.38 just like the Jews did. They entered into the church. Listen. They entered into the church on the same terms that the Jews in Jerusalem entered into the church. You entered into the church the same on the same terms and the same way that the Jews did and the Samaritans did. I feel in the Holy Ghost today that I have helped some of you get your understanding correct. Because every once in a while I hear some of y'all still talking about, well, they accepted the Lord as their Savior. And you, you give me the impression like you thought that was enough. I'm showing you by the Word of God, it is not enough. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise in the house. Can you believe it's almost 1 o'clock? Are you all awake? Isn't that beautiful? I told you. And I'm telling you today, I I read last night and I read during the day theologian after theologian after theologian and when they look at this if they don't believe what the bible says as far as the plan of salvation is concerned they really struggle with trying to explain it but they just have to break down and they just have to see it the way it is give the lord praise <clears throat> oh i know what i believe i believe what i know okay i'm gonna real real quick i'm gonna finish up here <clears throat> Is this good or not? Yeah. It was an emergency time. They had never seen anything like this before. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. brother Daniel, go to your buddy and tell him he's an abnormal. Not normal anyway. <laughs> and you're just you're not you're not totally there. You're not totally there yet, and we will never be satisfied until you are. We can't accept it. Sorry. Okay. Praise the Lord. All right. Hallelujah. I love you. I love you. So, our job is to get you to full salvation. Not just to get you conceived by the Word of God, but get you birthed. You can be conceived, but not born. You can die in the womb. You can die after being conceived. Praise the Lord. Okay, watch this. Let me get on on here. Okay, so the Bible says, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Now Simon thinks that, what was that? Oh, that's Superman! He got a call. He got a. He got a brother. Go jump in your in your telephone booth. He's got an emergency. Hallelujah. Okay, okay, hallelujah. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord, we love you. Uh, All right, so anyway, Simon sees this and he comes to the conclusion that there must be some power in those guys' hands. You know, he thinks that the Holy Ghost is coming out of their hands. Wrong. They don't have the Holy Ghost in their hands. It's not coming through their hands. They're identifying with them. They're laying their hands on them. Okay, They're not, you know, the Holy Ghost is not flowing through their hands. Okay, there's a point of contact. They're they're identifying with the person. They're praying for them, okay? And so, the Holy Ghost comes on them. Now, you say, well, that means that an apostle has laid his hands on for you to receive the Holy Ghost. No, that's not true. Because we'll see in Acts chapter 10, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them. It just fell on the on the Gentiles. Nobody laid hands on them. Hallelujah. I'm gonna be preaching the word of God right now, and I'm preaching the word of God while you're sitting right there. The Holy Ghost can fall on you, and you can start start speaking of tongues, and I never laid one hand on you, or nobody in this church lays a hand on you. You get the Holy Ghost. So this is not, it's not because it is not because they had to put their hands on them. Okay, say amen. But anyway, they did. So, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Praise God. And, once, and when Simon saw that through the land on the hands of the apostles, the, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. He said, oh, I want, I want that. I want that ability to lay hands on whoever I want to and that power flow through me. See, what he was after was the power, not the presence of Jesus. He was after the miracles. He was after the supernatural. But he wasn't, he, are y'all here with me? That's why I said you're not seeking tongues, you're seeking the Holy Ghost. You're not seeking the supernatural, you're seeking the life of God. It's not life in the powers, it's life in the Spirit. Hallelujah. I'm not seeking power, I'm seeking God. I'm not seeking supernatural miracles, I'm seeking the presence of the Lord. Okay. Some people, when they come and receive the Holy Ghost, they're seeking tongues. You don't seek tongues. You seek the Holy Ghost, and tongues will, will be the manifestation of that. So this man, so he wants the power. He wants the supernatural. He wants the miraculous. He wants to be able to lay hands on people, and that power flowed through him. And whoo. See, people fall out of the, of the Spirit speaking, Woo! look at what I just did. See, that's what he's after. No, that's not what we're after. We're after God. These signs shall follow them that believe. You don't seek the power, you seek the Spirit of God. You don't seek tongues, you seek, come on, you seek God. Say praise the Lord. He, so he wants to take this move of God and turn it into religious magic. Okay? He knows what they got's real, what he's got. It don't match up. Now he was baptized in Jesus' name. This man was baptized in Jesus' name. But you will see, Peter will tell him, you're on your way to hell. I hope you're getting this. So baptism in Jesus' name is not enough to save you if your heart is not right. If your actions are not right. Woo! Boy, we're we hitting it from all angles this morning. And I'm not done because I'm still anointing. It took take, take me an hour to get anointed. I'm anointed and I'm not going to quit now, man. Are you kidding me? Are you here? Okay, so what? He wants to buy this, not the gift of the Holy Ghost. The word gift is doria, which means a free gift. You can't buy the Holy Ghost. You can't buy healing. You can't buy a miracle. You can't buy the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Are you with me? So he's not wanting to buy the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's wanting to buy the ability to lay hands on people so they can receive the Holy Ghost. He wants that power for himself. Because remember, he's the great power of God. They said. But he's not. When he says he's willing to pay for it, willing to purchase it, that means he's willing to give everything he's got. This man, Simon, if you will study the background of this man, this man was extremely wealthy. And He's willing to give not just money, but He's willing to give all of His land, everything He's got to be able to have this power to lay hands on people who don't have the Holy Ghost. And they receive the Spirit. He's willing to buy that ability. Okay? Now let me say this with you today, with to you, if you will, let me. And I, I believe you will because I'm going to say it anyway, you know. <laughs> That doesn't mean you're going to receive it. But there's some people who give because they want to control. Witchcraft is control. He wanted to buy this so he could control people with that power. Listen. Some people give because they want to control. Some people give because they're cheerful givers and they just love God. They bring their tithe and their offering to the Lord and they are so thankful and they're cheerful to give it. And they're excited about doing it, hallelujah. They have no ulterior motives. They're not giving it because they want to control. They're not giving it because they want to be recognized. They're not giving it because they want to be in, in an office. They're not giving so they can buy a gift from God or buy a healing from God or by the you know what I'm saying? Right. Buy a miracle from God, or buying supernatural things from God. That's not why they're giving. They're not giving so they buy something from God. They give because they're a cheerful giver. Amen. Some people give because they want to control. Some people are cheerful givers. And then some people give with an attitude, well, I'm going to give so that if we leave the church, or if we're not in this church, I'm going to give this so you can see what you're going to miss when we go. And I have felt that spirit on some. And well, look what you missed. I'm leaving the church, but I'm going to send my last tithe check to you so you'll see what you missed. I can discern that spirit just like that. care nothing about it. I thank God for the tie. The tie support me and my family. Thank God for that. Thank God for the offerings you bring. But I'm going to tell you something. It does not control us. We're still going to tell you the truth because we love you. Because we love you. And if you're giving your tie to control me, you might as well forget it. It's not going to happen. You can't buy me. You can't buy the gift of God. You say, but I bring my tithe. Oh, you better be careful, honey. Because what you might be saying to me is if we're not here, guess what goes with us? Well, I'll say. Because I know God will send it. He'll bring it right back in. Because ultimately, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stay on this long. But ultimately, when you bring your tithe, you're bringing it to God. And it is God who gives it back to the pastor. You don't understand that. So if you want to run off with your tithe and you don't continue to bring your tithe, you took it out of the hands of God. And Malachi says, you robbed God. So it's not about buying control or buying power, or buying a miracle. Oh, come on somebody. If I give, I know God's going to heal me. You don't know that. Naaman the leper brought huge amounts of money to Elijah the prophet. Elijah said, I will not take it because you can't buy your miracle. And Gehazi ran after Naaman. He got some of the money. And the Bible says the leprosy that was on Naaman hit him. And other times Elijah did receive support but not that time. Because you cannot buy your healing name. You cannot buy this power. Come on, are y'all here? I know you're getting tired, but I'm the one doing the preaching. Amen? Amen. Amen. All you got to do is just sit there and look at me. Now listen, this man was baptized in Jesus' name. But his heart's not right. His actions aren't right. His spirit's not right. Okay? So the Bible says, look at the response. If he's willing to give it all. Verse 9, he's saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. Ooh, Thy money perish with thee. We know you're baptized in Jesus' name. Evidently, Philip did not discern the spirit that was in this man. It took an apostle to discern his spirit. But Peter discerns the spirit that's in Simon. Thy money perish with thee. Your money is going to perdition with you. You're on the road that leads to perdition. You're on the road that's leading you to hell, Simon and he was baptized in Jesus' name. So this shows me that your heart has to be right as well as your actions for you to be saved. It's not just enough to be baptized in Jesus' name. Your heart, your desire, and your actions have to be right to be saved. Somebody asked my pastor a long time ago, he said, do you think all the Je- only the Jesus' name people are going in the rapture? He said, I don't think all the people in, that are baptized in Jesus' name are going to the rapture. He said, only some of them. So just because you're baptized in Jesus' name this morning, doesn't mean you're going in the rapture. If your heart and your actions are not right, you can still die and go to hell. Now, I'm not trying to take hope away from you. I'm just telling you. this. I'm in the Bible today. I am in the Bible today. Really, you know what he said? No, I, I, don't take this. I'm not cussing. I'm not cussing, and I'm not cursing. Okay? So don't walk out of here and say that my pastor cusses at us. I don't believe in cussing preachers. <laughs> Basically what Peter's saying, and this is a J, this is a translation, I believe it's from JB Phillips, to hell with your money. That's about as little as it gets. <laughs> Peter looked at him and said, to hell with your money. (gasps) Alright, now I'm not using that in a cussing way. Hell's a real place. Okay, so you're going to hell. If you don't repent, you're going to hell and your money can go to hell with you. Uh-oh. If your pastor told you that, you come over there and start talking about how, you know, I said, well, your money can go to hell with you. To hell with your money. Let me call him on the telephone. Pastor, that's why I quit that church. Pastor cusses at us. Just tell him that's the literal translation. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> Praise the Lord, Jesus. Oh, yeah. You gotta have a fight in you, man. You gotta have a fight. You gotta, listen. You are ever gonna do a thing for God? You gotta have a fight in you. Yeah, I, I'm not saying be you know arrogant or proud. I mean, you gotta have a fight in you, man. Whew. You got so many spirits you gotta deal with and attitudes you gotta deal with. Now, what? Watch what he says, okay? Your money perish with you. He's on his way to hell. You're on the road to hell, Simon. You think you can buy... See, that's why they call people who think they can buy the office of a bishop or the office of a deacon or the office of anything in the church. If they think they can buy it, they call that simony. That simony. They think you can buy an office or buy a position or buy your whatever. Simony. It's Now listen, if we're not careful as a church, you can get into borderline witchcraft if you think you can buy your miracle, you suspend the grace of God. you think you can buy your salvation or buy your office, you will suspend the grace of God and that will put you on the path of perdition. Okay? Y'all with me? I'm trying to help you. I'm not telling you we got the old cult in our church. I'm just telling you that some of the things that are done are borderline witchcraft. We're seeking the Spirit of God. We're seeking the presence of God. And the miracles and signs... I believe in speaking tongues. I believe in miracles and signs and wonders. I believe in that. I believe in the power of God, but I'm not seeking that. I'm seeking God. Amen. Amen. Well, y'all come on up here and bring your offering, your tithes, and, and uh, you'll get healed today. Send me $100 in the mail and I'll send you a little oil back. And your cancer... <laughs> listen, I, listen, I know I'm young. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but I walked in a in a house one day a long time ago and I was my pastor in my first church, you know, this and they had this big old picture of a televangelist on their on their ice box or their refrigerator. I, I'm, I told you I was young, but I'm going, dating myself. Um, refrigerator in my day was an ice box, so I'm dating myself. But anyway, on the refrigerator, as you know it, they had a big old picture of that televangelist. And I man, that's my first church. I'm young, you know. I walk in there, I see that picture. I said, you better get that off your refrigerator. And I said, and they didn't tell me anything, but I said, you better stop supporting him. He's a charlatan. He's like Simon. Yeah, yeah. Really? I said, yeah. yeah right. Right. And I said, I don't explain to him. Okay. He claims you send him money and you'll get your miracle. You'll get your healing. Simony! What a little occultism. That's right. Yes, Amen. That's, right. that's right. You know what he did? What they do is they open the letter, pull the check out, throw your prayer request in the trash can. I mean, I don't know. They might even have machines today that can go through the mail and take the checks out and throw the throw the thing away. They don't even look at. They don't even look at the mail they got. They just, the machine does it all. Okay, I'm almost done. I promise you, I'm almost done. Ooh, man. You know, I've told you this story before. I had an older woman come to our church when we were over here on brass. We just started the church. Didn't even have carpet on the floor. Didn't even have a ceiling like this. We had a metal roof. It was a barn we were having church in. This lady comes to church. You know, she's got a lot of money. One of the sisters of the church called me up on the phone. Pastor, this woman's got a lot of money. Maybe she'll put carpet in our church. I said, I don't want her money. I don't want her money. Why, Pastor? Because she's got the spirit of control in her. And if I take her money, she's going to try to control me. I said, I don't want her money. I said, you better be careful. You better be careful. Not too long after that, this sister started working for this woman, waiting on this woman. I had to go find this sister in the boondocks. She was deathly sick. This woman had put a spirit of control so heavy on this sister in the church that she became ill in her body. I found out that she was very ill. I got in my car... I knew the general area. I got in my car. I said, God, I don't know where this woman lives. You're going to have to lead me to her house. God said, go here, go there, go here, go there. He took me straight to this woman's house. I drove up in the front, got out of my car, went back to sister, and I prayed for her. I said, sister, you need to get out of here. The Spirit of control working on you. You see, God showed that to me before all of that happened, that that sister was walking in control. If I received her money, she's going to try to control the church. I don't want the money. Say amen. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Well, that spirit that was operating in that woman, witchcraft, made the sister deathly ill because she started looking to the woman as her support instead of trusting God. We have to learn to trust God. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, Trust God. And if God uses people to bless you financially, thank God for it. If they obey the word of God, praise God for it. But they cannot use that to control the ministry. Okay, I'm almost done. Are y'all with me? So he said, Your money's perishing with you. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of thy wickedness. And pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He said, your heart's not right. He said, I perceive what's working in you is bitterness and iniquity. You're bitter because you see the success of Philip. You're bitter because you see the success of the apostles. You are bitter. You're full of bitterness. And you're full of iniquity. You're bitter against the gospel. He said, that's what's working in you. He said, i call you to repent. You're on your way to hell. Get rid of that bitterness, that gall, that yellow-green poison that's working in you. Get it out of you, or it's going to send you to hell. Okay? So he said, I know what's working in you is a bitterness. And iniquity. Now watch what he does. What does Simon do? Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Notice he doesn't ask to be forgiven. He asks that the judgment not fall on him. I do not see where the man asks to be forgiven. I see where the man is asking that the judgment don't come on him. I don't see that this man repented. I'm not saying he didn't. I'm just saying that I don't see that he did. History tells you that he went over to Rome. Simon Magus. History says it. He went over to Rome, set up a statue to himself, and that Simon Peter and Simon Magnus were always at odds. And the Simon of Rome is not Simon Peter. The Simon of Rome is Simon, this Simon. And I got that much documentation in my house that documents this historically. Alright? I'll leave it at that. But I will tell you that this man is saying, Peter, pray for me that none of these things come upon me. I don't want to go to hell. But I don't see you repenting and saying, Forgive me, because I'm wrong. Watch. Why doesn't He say, I know I'm getting lengthy, but why doesn't He say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of this sin. I repent, I'm wrong. I'll tell you why. Because logic, reason, and judgment is different in every person. That's why normally you cannot win an argument. Because you come with your logic, reason, and judgment. You come with your view. We come with our view. And that's why most of the time arguments are not one. Because everybody has a different logic, reason, and judgment within them. Did you catch what I said? Very rare. Even when you've got an apostle like Peter pronouncing this, the direction he's going in, pronouncing the judgment on him, very rare do you have somebody say, I'm wrong, you're right. Very rare. Because he's coming from his own view. He's coming from His own logic, reason, and judgment. Say, Amen! Amen. Amen. Man, it takes a lot for a person to say, I'm wrong. I don't want to die and go to hell. Will you pray that I don't die and go to hell? Yeah, but you still got to repent. Your heart needs to get right. Your actions need to get right, even if you're baptized in Jesus' name. Because you can die and go to hell even being baptized in Jesus' name. If your heart's full of bitterness... And your life's full of iniquity. Right, Are y'all getting tired? Y'all stay with me a little longer? Okay, how about this much longer? Amen. <laughs> amen. Okay. Verse 25. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of Samaria. Thank God the apostles went down to Samaria. Thank God. There's a connection now with the church. These people have become a part of the body of Christ. They're not a separate work from Jerusalem. Come on. Come on, somebody. Order's there. Government's there. It's been doing right. Hallelujah. It's not a faction or a fraction. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down to, from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. So now He's going to go from Jerusalem. He's going to go to Gaza. Remember where Gaza is? Gaza's is over there on the seacoast. It's where the Palestinians today live. The Gaza Strip. So God tells Him to go over there. So now He's going to leave a crowd. He's going to leave a revival. He's going to leave this awesome move of God in Samaria. And He's going to go for one man in the desert. And I'll just preach it to you. He makes his way to this one man in the desert. The Bible tells us he was a eunuch of Ethiopia. It doesn't say he was an Ethiopian eunuch. He was a eunuch of Ethiopia. If he was an Ethiopian, he's the first Gentile to come into the church. Acts 10 is where the first Gentile comes into the church, Cornelius. So I believe this man was a Jewish man or a Jewish proselyte who lived in Ethiopia. The Bible tells us that he was a eunuch. He was a servant to the queen of Ethiopia. I believe it's recorded here as Candace. Candace is not her name. Candace is a title of the queen of Ethiopia. She's the mother queen of Ethiopia. And this eunuch, who I believe is Jewish, is sitting in a chariot. The Bible says he had gone to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. That means, I believe again, that he was a Jew. He goes up there to worship at the temple. When he gets there... He leaves disappointed. Wow. While they're in Jerusalem at the temple to worship God, he buys the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. On his way back to Ethiopia, which is southern from Egypt. It's below Egypt. He's sitting in his chariot, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Now remember, he's a eunuch. And as he reads Isaiah chapter 53, he believes he's reading about a eunuch that will come. Because he's reading about a man who will be cut off. Say, cut off. That speaks to him of a eunuch situation. He will be cut off from the land of the living. Oh, hallelujah. He will die before generation. Who shall declare his generation? So he will be cut off. And who will declare his generation? He's going to die before he has natural children. And so the eunuch thinks he's reading about a eunuch that will come as he's reading Isaiah 53. Philip comes to him alongside the chariot. The Spirit of God says, Catch up to the chariot. Get on that chariot with him. So he gets to the chariot. And uh, the Bible says, Philip asked him, understandest what thou readest. I can't help it. I got the preacher in me. I just can't stop preaching. Understand what thou readest or knowest thou what thou knowest. Because reading is simply, watch this, reading is knowing. Again. Reading is knowing again. Reading, when I read, I'm reading something that somebody knows that they put down in writing. So if I read, I'm knowing again. I'm repeating what is known. That's what the Greek word reading means. Okay. Knowest what thou reading, or understand understandest what thou readeth. Do you know what you know again? Do you understand what you're reading? Huh? Oh, are y'all with me right now? Amen. You're knowing again. That means you're reading something that was known that somebody put down in words. But do you know what you know again? You're knowing it again. It was known before. Now you're knowing it again by reading it. But do you know what you know again? That's the question. Understandest what thou readest. How can I accept some man teach me? Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Is the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about another? And the Bible says that Philip takes Isaiah 53 and he preaches Christ to him. The Bible, he's saying, okay, the Bible and the prophets are showing you Jesus Christ. It's Christological. It's about Jesus Christ. So he preached Christ to him. Uh, maybe it has some application to the prophet. Maybe some application to his time. But it's about Jesus. Isaiah 53. He will be cut off from the land of the living. Who shall declare his generation? He is not a eunuch physically. He is a eunuch spiritually speaking. Oh, hallelujah. This gets the attention of the eunuch. Is there somebody that's going to come into this world that's like me, that cannot produce children? Is there somebody that's in this world or uh, that's going to come that will be cut off like me, that cannot get into the temple of Jerusalem because I'm a eunuch? I can't get into the kingdom of God because I'm a eunuch. Is there somebody that's coming that's like me? Am I reading about him? And so the Bible tells us Philip preaches Jesus to him. Jesus is a eunuch spiritually. He was cut off from the land of living. He died before he had physical generation. But his heirs will be great spirit. He will have a spiritual kingdom. And those people who will come into his kingdom will be begotten by the word and by the new birth. Oh, hallelujah. He will have a seed. He will have a seed. He will have a generation. But it will be a spiritual seed. And they will be known as the sons of God. Oh, hallelujah. They will be conceived by the sperma of the word of God. And they will be born again of water and spirit and become the sons of God. This is how. Oh, this is good news to this eunuch. Because he can't get in the temple because of his condition. So he reads about this one. And he said, it sounds like a eunuch." going to come philip says no this is jesus christ and he all right y'all with me he is a spiritual eunuch he's dying before he has physical seed he's cut off from the land of the living oh hallelujah but he will have great heirs great heirs great a multitude of people are going to come into his kingdom And so, eunuch, even though you cannot get into that temple in Jerusalem, and even though, eunuch, the priest could not explain it to you when you were in Jerusalem, and nobody in Jerusalem could tell you what it meant. You bought the prophet Isaiah, and you're reading it. Now i tell you. He said, I'll tell you what it means. Oh, this is awesome. The Bible says, after Philip gets through witnessing to him, oh, yeah, the eunuch says, I want to be baptized in water. He said there's water right there there's a there's much water right there he said i want to be baptized in water and so philip says if you believe with all your heart who thou mayest be baptized you can be baptized if you believe with all your heart and so the eunuch says i believe that jesus is the christ of god I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And the Bible says they got down out of the chariot. And the Bible says they both went down into the water. He didn't go get a little water, sprinkle on his head. They went down into the water oh praise the lord in the name of jesus now how do i know it's in jesus name because that's the way they do it in jesus name that's how i know and how do i know that he got the holy ghost Uh, because the bible didn't say he got the holy ghost i know he got the holy ghost hallelujah because people baptized name got the holy ghost and so the unit goes away after being baptized in jesus name he goes away full of joy Hallelujah. Now when you study history, you'll find out that this eunuch of Ethiopia goes back to Ethiopia. And when he gets there, a revival breaks out. Hallelujah to the Lamb. In fact, historically, it was such a powerful revival in Ethiopia that it outdid what happened in Samaria. That's why God sent this man Philip to one man in a desert and they left the whole, he left the whole crowd for one man. Because there will be greater results through this Ethiopian, or this eunuch of Ethiopia, than Samaria would ever experience, historically speaking. Revival broke out in Ethiopia, history says. It went wild there uh, through this man. Oh, give the Lord praise in the house. so the eunuch saw in Isaiah 53 a story about a eunuch and it caught his attention and Philip said let me explain it to you it's Jesus Christ so isn't this beautiful so this man now is enabled to get into the kingdom of God by the new birth you can't get in the temple now because of your physical condition over in Jerusalem but Jesus can get you into the spiritual temple Jesus can get you into the kingdom of God Jesus can get you where well, they can't Jesus can get you in where well, religious can't Jesus can get you in well you're disqualified from that physical temple by the way you don't need the physical temple anymore because now you can come into the spiritual temple that has transcended that earthly temple by the new birth Jesus can okay so now watch just what Stephen died for is so this gospel would break away from that temple ritual and go out to the world. This is why he died. Now it's going. It's going into Samaria. It's going into... This man now is going to go back to Ethiopia. A man with great authority. A potentate. Not just a servant, but a potentate. And he's going to hit that place by the power of God. God's going to flow through him and revival is going to break out through this eunuch of Ethiopia. And there's so much power there. The Bible says that Philip is raptured from Gaza to Ashdod. The Bible says he's raptured from Ascalon. That's Ashdod. That's about 30 miles up the coast. That man, poof, God took him right there. Wow. Harpazo. In the Greek, the Latin word coming from harpazo is the word we get raptio or rapture. Oh, he was raptured by the power of God. You you wonder if God was there. You wonder if the Holy Ghost was there, the Spirit of God was there, when he was baptized. There's so much power of God there that it raptured Philip to Ashdod up the coast around 15 to 35 miles depending on how you measure it. There's enough power of God. Amen. And then the Bible says he goes for after he gets through the Ashdod, he goes up a little bit higher up the coast of Caesarea. This is Caesarea of Palestine, not Caesarea Philippi over here. He goes up the coast a little bit further, and there he resides. Philip does. And you don't read anything about Philip until Acts chapter 21, I believe it is, and you'll find that his daughters followed in his footsteps and they become prophetesses. He's a great man of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Amen. Amen. That's the book of Acts, the eighth chapter. That's the actions of some of the Actually, the Holy Ghost through some of the apostles. Right there in the book of Acts. I hope you learned a lot today. God bless your heart. I love you with all my heart. Thank you for staying. I know I was long, but I feel good now. I said I feel good now.